somehow you slide we would never get around to, to mentioning wars, depression, big business government, bigotry. Your world is dying, Dad, and it's burying itself in the dry rot of imperialism and colonialism. When the moral fiber of the United States and the economy collapses under the pressure of competitive coexistence, it will be your responsibility, comrades, to purge the minds of the reactionary Americans. The anarchist seeks only ruin and destruction, and he rides a tidal wave of terror. I guess we're anarchists. You know, if the cops come, the cops come. You're listening to the Pages Against the Machine podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Amir, and we're going to try something new today. So given that I'm a one-man show, and I tend to procrastinate, and it's hard for me to stay focused amid everything else going on in life, it takes me a while to create content and podcasts, particularly because, like I said, for the most part, it's just me. You know, a lot of times I kind of wish I could just endlessly interview people and have co-hosts all the time, it'd be easier because I wouldn't have to plan, prepare, research, articulate, formulate all my ideas and everything as much as I do. I I enjoy doing that and I hope that it is benefit of to you when I do release longer episodes um, that challenge and stimulate your ideas and get you to question them or question my own. Um, yeah, that's great. That that's that's the whole goal. That's why I want to do this podcast. Um, so I appreciate you listening and giving me that platform. But because of all that that was just aforementioned, it kind of puts me a little out of touch with being able to communicate back and forth as quickly uh, and as as often as I'd like to. And so I have an idea of creating this new segment, which I'm just going to call keeping with the whole pages against the machine um, moniker, which obviously is kind of weird, doesn't make sense for a podcast. We're just going to we're going to keep playing with that and we'll call these little short ones. We'll call them uh, cliff notes, I think. Um yeah, it's probably pretty dumb, but hey, I gotta I gotta be clever. I gotta be clever um, <laughs> in this project as much as I can. So beyond your eye roll, the idea is to allow me to just record short, short things, whether it's a little bit added commentary on a book cover that I post or something that's going on or just something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Uh, I just want to be able to to share more often with you, to share more frequently with you and get more feedback and just continually build the platform in the community that that includes you uh, more and helps you participate more because there's just more stuff to talk about. And I know how exciting it is when podcasts that I love drop new episodes. And so hopefully if you're listening to this, you actually really do like the like the podcast and love listening to it. And it will give you give you some uh, added added happiness in your life. I'm also going to uh, just give you a heads up. I'm going to try and put these out, you know, quickly and therefore they're going to be a lot less polished than the other work is. So please have that in mind. And if you have a better idea for what to call these shorter segments other than cliff notes, yeah, let me know. Hit me up, slide in the DMs. So this very first episode of Cliff Notes, what I want to talk about is the idea behind a cover that I just posted uh, the book cover is based off of off of a book cover entitled Astral Projection, which was something I used to be endlessly fascinated in. Um, and my recreation of it states, quote, our culture is empty and one dimensional. 
our identities inauthentic. And then I go on to write, when the profit motive and market forces of the invisible hand are left to govern and regulate society, they reduce all of culture to a mere transactional, one-dimensional, and empty nature. A culture in which the merit and value of all of the arts is relegated to profitability. A culture in which the human experience and what it is to be human is exploited through creating a hollow facade of its representation, which is then lifted and superimposed on products and goods to further drive the engine of consumerism. A culture in which self-interest is propagated as true and ultimate freedom, and therefore the highest virtue is to embrace a lifestyle of hedonism and egotism. Our society has become a sad, lonely spectacle of self-destruction, meaningless, and vacuity. If our society is to be able to save itself from itself, we must embrace a new spirituality which rejects the emptiness of market worship and consumerism. A cultural revolution of fraternal and maternal humanism emphasizing the potential of human beings to find meaning and fulfillment through community, mutual aid, and neighborly and societal interdependence of all members. Down with vanity, down with selfishness, down with cultural individualism, down with the entire hollow spectacle and its subversive propaganda corrupting our human nature. In the struggle, we find meaning. Yeah, so what does that mean? Well, to me, the way that I see things is that capitalism is so entrenched and it's much more than economic system. Basically, what starts out as an economic system re-establishes itself and permeates all of societal and cultural consciousness. It programs individuals to behave a certain way and reinforces those behaviors and ways of, of looking at things which are completely toxic. And I believe that no revolution actually can happen or any successful leftist change occur without societal and cultural consciousness changing, evolving, and going beyond the one-dimensional transactional nature of everything being money-related or profitability-related and profit motive this and profit motive that. So we need to realign our societal values, norms, and ideals in one that actually is, is in alignment with the nature of human evolution, of uh, mutual independence, mutual aid, tribalism, those type of things. Because the whole individualism of capitalism, it's empty. It reduces all of us to our own selfish desires. And more, more importantly, it fractures us. It makes us see us as, as separate from the whole. And this is something that is very obvious in the West. When you look in other countries and other cultures where things like family and the community and, and neighbor relations are valued and championed, they have a lot less mental illness. Another problem with this capitalist mindset is that it is very reductionary. It reduces human beings to mere consumers and it, it, it doesn't acknowledge that human beings have problems and are more complex than simply market forces can provide for and, and fix. And that is, that's a huge problem. It, it reduces what people believe is possible to think in terms that are small and are very, as I mentioned earlier, transactionary and financial in nature. So you see this when people say, hey, we need healthcare. 
And then others say, well, what's it going to cost? It's like, it's going to cost too much. We can't afford that. My tax, you know, stupid shit like that. Because capitalism has reduced their understanding of what is possible in society and culture to merely coming down to whether things are economically feasible or economically uh, valid or wise or some stupid shit like that. So that's a huge problem. And because of that line of thinking being so pervasive in this country, it's the reason why so many Americans vote against their own interests. Because when they hear of, of huge social programs and leftist thought and, and things that we need to do to save basically the planet and, and society as a whole in the West, they just see dollar signs. And keep in mind, like we, the whole economy, economic system we create doesn't exist until we make it exist and in today's age today's day and age it's all numbers it's all numbers in computer mainframes and networks and so basically a big problem with capitalism is people deny that that we can control it um the market i'm talking about that we can control it we can influence it we should shape it we should just overall let it do its own thing but it's just so stupid it's like you have a vehicle but you don't drive it why would you have a car and not use it? So we have this economy, and instead of being able to organize, regulate, control, plan, and do these type of things with it, and actually create a better world in society, the, the de facto stance of the majority of economists in this country is, no, no, let's just let it, let's just let it do its own thing, which is just incredibly misguided and foolish, okay? And so... The consciousness, the false consciousness of, of Americans is has been so programmed into this individualistic, rugged, individual cowboy mentality in America specifically that the success of the individual is not connected or intrinsic and, and interrelated with the success of society as a whole, that it's okay for the individual to do well when the majority of people around them are poor and experiencing hardships. It's the whole pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality. And the problem with that is, okay, you're going to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but what about all those people that don't have boots? You know, your ass was lucky you were born into a pair of boots, but many of us weren't so lucky. And so this, this whole idea that the individual is the, the happiness and fulfillment of the individual is more important than that of society as a whole is a complete fallacy. It's a complete fallacy because we know our psychological evolution of human beings is totally not aligned with the way lifestyles have become in the West in 2020. You know, the paradox is, the majority of what technology is used for right now, I guess, personal technology, computers, smartphones, things like that, is for social media because human beings need to be social more than anything. But we've, we, we tend to do it now from a disconnected way through an artificial representation of, of actual human connection and authentic uh, friendship and that type of thing. We do it through smartphones and stuff. And so we see that one of the biggest, most important needs for all human beings, mental health, happiness, and well-being is connection, connection and relationships with others. You know, there's all the experiments where they take mice and they just get them hooked on morphine. And then, you know, the, the mice just, you know, they love that good trip and they're just chilling. And, you know, next thing you know, they're full blown physically dependent. 
And then they offer, they, they offer in a friend, they drop another mice, another mouse in, and they find that over time, the mice that are, are addicted to the morphine end up giving up morphine for hanging out with other mice. They just want to chill. They just want to have a fun little mice, mice life, a fun little mouse life with their other little furry friends and just be happy. So that's it. I mean, you know, the opiate of humanity is connection and friendship with each other, even more powerful than the opiates themselves. So a, a big fallacy also is the belief that if you just take your hands off the market and let it control itself, things are going to be better. That that a free and open marketplace with limited regulation is going to create and serve humanity as a whole by establishing and creating a free, open, happy, fulfilling society. And that's completely ass backwards. The truth is, in this next century, we need an economy that is uh, that is managed and run in a way that it provides for the emotional and economic well-being of all individuals and all citizens that that the economy itself shouldn't exist outside of and above the society and create the society rather the society itself should manage it and run it and be above it and the economy just being one aspect and part of what makes the economy or I'm sorry the culture and society healthy and strong and happy and that's just not how it is now there's this belief that that economics and the market itself can create stability in society. And, you know, to be honest, like you look at the 20th century, there was just endless warfare, all kinds of different ideologies at times, you know, capitalism, communism, uh, fascism, you know, there was endless warfare, unlike the, war unlike the world had ever seen on such a wide scale. And there was a belief that the way that you could manage and run society was through economics, was through consumerism to kind of pacify everybody and create a safe, stable society through consumption. And to an extent, that worked. That definitely worked for a long time in the United States, but it has totally run its course. And now all the contradictions of capitalism are, are starting to fracture that we're starting to see the limit that that has. And we realize that the, it can, the, that type of thinking, it cannot save humanity from itself. We face an environmental catastrophe looming and all kinds of things that we need to thrive as individuals in the society can only be fixed through cooperation, planning, and working together. Through harnessing the economy and the market managing, regulating it, and overhauling it, that's, that's what we need. That is the future. And so libertarians would argue that, well, you know, you sh shouldn't do that. Like, you're going to mess everything up if you try and do anything. Like, the market will provide. The market always has results. The market can never be wrong. And that's such an infantilistic idea, okay? If that were true, if, if systems left unregulated are the best option and thrive and self-interest is is the driving factor if that were the case why do we have why do we have stop signs okay if self-interest is such 
a great way of organizing society and running things, why do we have stop signs? Okay, when you're in a car and you're driving, your own rational self-interest is to be moving. We've all sat in traffic. We've all hated being in traffic. You're miserable. You're frustrated. You're annoyed. And you don't want to feel that. And so therefore, you're, it's in your best self-interest to be driving, to be driving fast, to get where you need to go, and, and that type of thing. Okay? And so given that everybody's self-interest is to be cruising around as fast as possible in their car, enjoying driving and not being slowing down in traffic, we realize that you need stop signs because people's self-interests must be managed in a way that provides the security, stability, and safety for all. And therefore, we found the need to regulate intersections by putting red octagons on there. It says, hey, quit driving, stop, and then proceed, you know, when it's safe. And so the libertarian says, ah, I know exactly. How, how could you see this blind spot? Well, if you got rid of the stop signs, then everybody would stop at the intersection because their self-interest of preservation of not getting into accident by just blowing through the intersection would outweigh their self-interest of getting to where they're going fast enough. And I would say, yeah, that, that is true. That is true to an extent. But if that is your comeback and that's your argument, well, the reality is then there would never be car accidents. There would never be at fault car accidents and stuff because the reality is that even though there are things that work out, there's a lot of things that aren't going to work out. There's a lot of externalities. And just because somebody gets through an intersection without stop signs a bunch of times, unfortunately, in a bunch of other places, people are getting in horrific car wrecks because there is chaos in general. Just like the marketplace. The marketplace, open free markets are chaotic. One thing works out, but many other things fail and all those things cause problems for everybody else. So yeah, you remove the stop signs. Yes, a bunch of intersections. People will drive safe that day. The next day, there could be a lot of chaos. And guess what? People aren't driving safe. And people that were stopping are still getting smashed into by other cars. And, and we see this with the economy. Okay, cool. Like some business is thriving and something's great, but then another business is destroying the environment because there's no regulation. So, so this idea that deregulate the economy to stimulate jobs, well, okay, that's cool and all if somebody gets a high, high paying job, but the reality is there's many corporations and that company itself at what cost could be destroying the environment as we see with fracking. And so the truth is applying the, the concept of an intersection with stop signs, you need to understand that we need to manage resources, that we need to work collaboratively together to control the economy. And this whole Ayn Randian individualistic objectivist worldview that is just, just fundamentally rotted away the American political and social responsibility and life, it needs abandoned. It needs completely abandoned. It does not serve us as a species. It does nothing but separate us, alienate us, makes us depressed, gives us mental illness. When you walk down the street and you don't know your neighbors, there's something wrong with that. In America, that's normal. 
in parts of America, it's absolutely not normal. But here in the big city in LA and stuff, yeah, it's totally normal. But when you actually befriend your neighbors, you start building something called community and you feel better. There's an amazing book I cannot recommend enough. It's called Tribe. It's by Sebastian Younger. And he details a bunch of different aspects of, or I'm sorry, a bunch of different accounts of how when things got bad through instances of war or hardship, people's mental health actually got better. And the reason why was because they came together. So natural disasters, people end up feeling better. During the, the bombing of, you know, the, uh, the Battle of Britain, the air raids over Britain in World War II, NHS, the health services were freaking out. They thought that there were going to be just suicides and societal upheavals and everyone's going to lose their shit. And the exact opposite happened. People felt better. They were doing much better mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all these things because they had a role to play. The sense the sense of identity that we as individuals have is extremely important to maintain. I would argue that a lot of depression and, and neuroses and things, they, they arise when we start losing a sense of self. I guess schizophrenia would be a perfect example of this. Obviously, I'm not saying that all of these things are only tied into this. However, by and large, we know by looking at the data in the West that mental health issues that we have so pervasive and prevalent here are not anywhere as prevalent in other, other countries and different cultures where the family and the society and the culture is valued. But here in the West, this shit is rampant. And it's because we are, we are told to, le to live this very individualistic, on-your-own, rugged individualist lifestyle you know, we, we in America think it's weird if by and large, you know, after you're 18 or something, if you don't leave your house, like if you just live with your family and parents and things and just don't go out on your own to, to strike a life for yourself and get a job, then somehow you're a bomb or you're a loser. And a lot of the places in the world, that's not true. But the American economy and real estate thrives on everybody going buying their own house. It thrives on everybody going and buying their own car and these type of things. And so therefore our entire culture from the way life is depicted in the movies to artificial constructs of what life is we see in commercials for shit, it's presented in this way that reinforces the hegemony of culture and that individualistic thinking. So if you choose to live with your family because you value family and connection, and not to just go live in an apartment by yourself in the big city, then somehow you're a lesser than or you're a bum or something. I personally, I don't live with my family or anything. Like I kind of a different radical notion of, of freedom when I was young, where it was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave with nothing and just wander and wherever I end up. And the, the truth is that was very hard at times. It was amazing at times. I got to do a lot of cool, amazing stuff, but by and large, it's hard and it's a struggle and it's not good for individuals or their mental health to live alone. I think it's I think it's one of the fastest ways to degrade a person's mental health, specifically if they have anything or predisposed to any mental health issues to begin with, is to isolate them, to leave them alone. And, and it, it just degrades your psyche. And when you don't have other individuals continually reinforcing your sense of self and the role that you play in the group, your sense of self starts breaking down. 
and you start getting depressed and you start to lose your shit and you start to forget who you are. And so it, it's a form, honestly, of torture. And that's why when they throw people in prison in ADSEG in the United States, when they throw them in isolation, it's, I mean, that's cruel and unusual punishment. That is torture. That is a form of torture that should absolutely be outlawed and illegal. And keep in mind at this moment, there are thousands of individuals right now in ADSEG, thousands of individuals that are in isolation, sometimes just forever without, without a date that they're getting out. Weeks, months, years. Can you imagine that? That is a form of torture. And a lot of countries don't, a lot of countries that the United States points its finger at and says, oh, human rights abuse and stuff. They don't do that. That's, that is illegal. It's a human rights abuse. But here in the United States, yeah, someone's bad or someone gets in a fight, whatever, go throw them, go throw them in timeout for weeks or months until they start breaking down, break their spirit. So they behave themselves. Can you imagine, you can't even imagine doing this to a dog or something at the pound or an animal, yet we somehow allow it to continue to exist towards human beings and happen towards human beings here in this country. It's fucked. And it's got to stop. And, and so I'm, I'm really kind of going off on a tangent here, but our culture in general, because it's consumption-based, it is empty. It is empty in that it exists for one reason. Whatever creates culture, be it the movies, the songs, the literature, the magazines, articles, the reason, the things that create culture do so because those things are profitable for a period. If you want to make a movie in Hollywood, well, you better, you better be able to make the money back. That's why you see endless clones of superhero movies and all that stupid shit. If you like that stuff, that's cool. That's your choice. I don't mean to bash it, but Hollywood realized like, hey, we can make a bunch of money off of superhero movies and then they do. And so they just keep making them because it's a guaranteed return. Okay, we have a market for this Marvel shit. So we're gonna just keep pumping out these movies and everything and we'll keep making money back. And so they've created this hegemony in Hollywood of, of these blockbuster superhero movies. I think that there's a reason or it ties in whether consciously or not to capitalism, where you, you create these stories, these heroes or heroes journeys of the lone individual struggling against injustice in society. And only they alone through their own power can, can rise up and, and fix things. And that's flawed. And the fundamental fallacy of that is that superheroes don't exist in, for, in real life, obviously. And our powers as humans come from working together. Our superpower is working together. It's the collective whole working together to achieve things. So a realistic superhero movie should be the whole community works together to stop injustice. You don't need some dude in a cape going out there and beating up criminals and everything. What you need, a true story of, of heroism, is the individual that realizes, hey, I need to organize 
a movement around me to fix the problem. But when things are presented continually as the cowboy riding out there alone on his horse to avenge, you know, or to avenge and get justice or stop crime, that perpetuates this individualistic mentality that we're all programmed into thinking. So the, the culture itself, you know, I work in the music industry and I see time and time again, I go out on tour with artists and I see the reality behind the spectacle. All these big artists, big names, you would know all, you know, A-list type shit. And I see the vacuity and, and the inauthenticity behind what is being sold. These artists, these individuals are a product. There's the product and who they are to society. And then there's them as an individual. They get into character. They play the role. They sell tickets to the show. They make money that, and that that's how it works. That, you know, for lack of a better term is kind of prostitution. That is, that is a spectacle. We have to become an inauthentic version of ourselves to make profit, to survive in this capitalistic society. And that's, that, that's wrong. Obviously, this comes from a very moralistic, idealistic standpoint, but I, I believe that that is wrong. I believe that is a big problem because just the same way as, you know, X artist goes up there and sings their country songs about drinking and all this type of shit, but then backstage, there's no drinking because they actually don't drink because, yeah, like they're sober. That's the same as when you go to your customer service job and act act like you actually give a shit about selling XYZ product and you listen to your boss and the corporation talk about their sham corporate culture bullshit. And it's just, it's this capitalistic system, this consumerist system on all levels just perpetuates this inauthenticity. And when inauthentic experiences are removed from our life experience, from our lives, they become empty. They become meaningless. They become void. They, they wear us out they wear us down, they tame us, and they keep us subservient. And at the end of the day, after at the end of a long day of kissing ass, uh, kissing your boss's ass and being nice and artificial to all the customers, be it retail or at a restaurant, you're exhausted. And therefore, a stable society is created because a bunch of pacified people aren't going to start a fucking revolution. At least they haven't yet in the United States, but things are starting to look actually good. Enough people are starting to wake up and realize once again that, hey, we need to change shit. The ship is sinking. And if we all band together, we can stop it from sinking, bail it out and possibly change its course. And so we need to focus on building community, on building connections. Coronavirus is a very great time to do that obviously with limitations of yeah like uh, personal space shit like that if you live in an apartment building put a piece of paper up with your phone number saying hey if you need help if you're immune compromised whatever if you need a hand if you need someone to get groceries whatever i'm here for you start building community and and you will see how things change your relationship to your apartment building will start changing your relationship to your neighbor will start changing and then once you start to become on first name basis with people and whatnot, you'll start to notice that your days are more fulfilling.
you'll start to notice that, yeah, after a long, hard day, instead of just looking down to avoid the person on the elevator, you actually want to crack a joke or they crack a joke that makes you laugh and it brings happiness to you amid <laughs> the existential void that this culture has just totally programmed in all of us. You know, a big problem with our society is that the majority of people don't, they don't remember what it is that makes them human. They assume that those fleeting moments of dopamine from your Amazon package arriving is going to bring you happiness or getting out of debt is going to bring you happiness or making a bunch of money or getting a job is going to bring happiness. And it will for a moment, but that happiness is more of, more of pleasure. It's not contentment. So there's happiness and then I would break it into kind of like pleasure and then fulfillment and contentment. Good things happening is, is it brings pleasure to you in the moment, but building relationships and friendships and things that you have to invest in and take time, bring you fulfillment and contentment. And usually you have to trade off one for the other. You know, think about kids. You're going to raise kids. It's probably going to suck. I, I'm not a parent. One day I would like to be a parent, I believe at this point, but I, I understand, and maybe I'm looking at this wrong, that it's going to be hard as hell for a long time. And it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be pleasurable. You're not going to get to sleep and everything. But then eventually after all that hard work you put into it, then you have this human that you can chill with, this human that loves you and brings love into your life. You get to practice love all the time and you're surrounded by it and you know, and you're not lonely. And then you're fulfilled and happy later on in life. And so that's, that's the thing. We need to realize that empty consumption, that goods and products and services and everything are artificial constructs that force us into being inauthentic people, empty, lonely, fragmented robots, aware of the collective whole and its ability to bring us fulfillment, happiness, strength, courage, and a better planet. A moat, whatever that is. Not a word I used, but they used it. A moat. And in the moat, I wanted alligators and snakes. Alligators and snakes. Alli alli alligators and snakes.